And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And welcome to From the Rookery End, uh, a podcast about Watford FC, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John. Uh, we've just watched on television, well, I have watched television, Colin has. Colin, you on a television? Yeah, on a television, yeah. Not, 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 not teletech, that's fine. Uh, but Mike was at the game. Uh, Mike, uh, it was uh, a great game uh, on lots of different ways, a niggly game on other ways. It ended 1-1, which everyone's probably frustrated about. But, you know... I wrote down very early on, oh, it's feisty. <laughs> it was a bit more than feisty, really, wasn't it? In these strange and uncertain times, John, it's lovely to know that we can rely on one thing, and that's Bournemouth to be absolute manner from the mouth of Hades themselves. <laughs> um, yeah, a yet another contentious fixture against our uh, against our old friends from from down the road some things don't change do they a few of the faces might change uh, but the dna certainly hasn't has it it really hasn't um yes there were definitely some yellow cards given out could there have been some reds i think so as well everything sort of conversation seems to be uh, online is aiming towards the referee for maybe not Getting those things sorted out sooner, Mike, and, and and rightly so, John. I mean, what an absolute abomination of a challenge after 90 seconds of the game, appalling, is yeah. is the only is the only way yeah. to describe it. The ref hasn't got a proper view of it. Then why is he booked him? The the linesman needs to help him out. It, it was just an appalling challenge. We don't need to talk about it um, for any longer than that because it should have been a red card and Bournemouth should have been down to to 10 men after 90 seconds of the match. I don't think anyone. Bournemouth fan Jason Tindall, the ref watching it back. I don't think anyone, having seen the replay, would argue that it was a, it was an appalling challenge. And of course, it's then you have to uh, right at the other end of the game with with 90 seconds left of the game. He's the one that has the shot that ends up um, uh, with the equaliser going in. So a hard one to take. And he should he should have been sent off again later in the game for a second yellow for uh, a pullback on on Saar, for which the referee didn't even give a free kick. I mean, he, the guy had. Uh, a fistful of his shirt. You could see it. It's sort of the the material stretched. So um, the linesman seeing that, and for, to not even give a foul uh, and not the yellow card again is is a quite appalling decision. Just just very very poor. Uh, another another dreadful challenge later in the game. I think it was billing on cleverly, which could have been a could have been an, and should have been a straight red. Studs on the and the one just before that where he elbowed Parisa in the jaw. That was a straight red as well, and he didn't get booked on either occasion. Amazing. The referee has made some appalling decisions throughout the game, um, and I don't think we need to debate it. I think everyone will have seen it on TV. Uh, it's incredibly frustrating as a Watford supporter, obviously. Bournemouth 
will will no doubt have enjoyed it. Um, but the, the slightly frustrating thing, and I think we have to caveat this with Watford have done this before as well. Watford know how to play the game. We've we've done it before. But there was a, you know, there was a concerted attack on on Ismail Assar. He was he was obviously highlighted as a as an attacking talent, as a threat. And they targeted him throughout. That's up to them if they want to do it. It's no surprise to us that um, that a Bournemouth side they look at every aspect of the game, shall we say, and maximising every single advantage they can they can physically get. Jason Tindall um, still uh, marching up and down the uh, in and out of his technical area, speaking to anyone. Um, any official that will listen um, at any, any given opportunity. We know what we get with, with these guys by now, but the officiating left a lot to be desired. Um, really disappointing, uh, frustrating. And, but I think you just have to, have to leave it at that. There's no, there's no debate to be had. They, they could have been down to, 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 to eight or, mo- or nine men, really. Well, let, as you say, Mike, we, we've got it out of the way, and I think you've got it out of your system. Oh, God, I'm so annoyed. <laughs> But let's talk about the Watford side of things. Colin, I sort of saw that team come out. I looked at that team and I thought, ooh, that, that seems a little bit more mature. I know that's easy to say because two young fellas go out and two slightly older fellas come in. They're not as old as me, uh, so slightly hypocritical. But, but Colin, it, how did it feel for you, that Watford squad throughout the piece? Well, I have to say, I thought the bench looked the strongest it's looked all season. So that's um, a testament to players, I guess, coming back. But also taking out Jao Pedro and Wilmot um, is a risk because they've been so good in the last couple of games. But we've got another game on Tuesday. So, you know, he does have to see a squad of 18 players and pick 11, you know, according to where they are in terms of fatigue and fitness and freshness and so on. So he brought in Parisa who I thought had a, had a really, really good game overall. And he was also targeted, I thought, at times physically. They, they, they lumped into him quite a bit. And eventually, um, as everyone knows who watched the game, he had to go off with what looked like either a dislocated shoulder or something really quite unpleasant. Poor lad, he was in a lot of pain. And the other player to come in, Truce de Kong. So he came on instead of Wilmot, replaced Wilmot in the side. And yes, it does. It did feel slightly less like a youth side, although there's nothing wrong with that. That, that side has been playing very well and getting good results. But uh, I think he, he did that maybe because he was aware, Ivic, that um, we were going to face quite a physical battle. It's interesting, isn't it, John, that this game... And I've been thinking about this quite a lot. This game had all the intensity and, you know, kind of bad temperedness that I think we expected from the game against Luton. And it never really materialised in that game. So I do sort of wonder whether or not this current rivalry, which is now going back six odd years since we came up together and all the to do around that. And then the five years in the Premier League and come down together and play each other again. And there was a real intensity in this game. And I think he picked some slightly mature heads, possibly, or some bigger lads in there to kind of deal with, with what he thought might be coming. I, yeah. think we can, I think what we can draw for the conclusion from the side that took, took the field is, yes, there were a couple of changes. Um, ben Foster just walking past me. He hasn't got his GoPro in his hand, so I don't think I'm going to feature in this, uh, <laughs> in this video, unfortunately. Uh, hello, Mum. Um, but uh, I think what, you know, this, this is a side with a couple of changes, which, like, as Colin said, is going to happen, but was definitely... Oh, he is filming. He is filming. <laughs> um, There's an edit, Mike. He won't put you through that. Right? He might do. <laughs> um, oh, I've gone all giddy. This is the cycling GK. Um, what, but in all seriousness, this is a side that, that that we can, you know, have high hopes for. That we can be confident in. And you know, we've got players to come back. Hughes, Deeney, um, Gray, Gray, who I think would have made an impact today, but. 
the fabulous thing I think is, as a Watford supporter, you're right, John. It, there are changes, but every change is strategic. Every change I think is made a to to do battle with the with the with the team that's in front of them today. And I think um, a couple of wiser heads were, were were needed today. But also thinking ahead to the next game because that is the juggling job of a head coach in the, in the champion in the championship. And I think what it does say now the dust really has settled after the transfer window shut. What it says is, this is a good squad, and as supporters, we can be confident in what lies ahead in depth throughout the pitch, and I think whatever team takes to the field, we can be confident, happy, and excited. Let's talk about the goal, though, Colin, because it came from Mr. Tsar, who was starting up front with Peritza. came across a brilliant, you know, one-touch, cross-in, very long leg, Peritza, uh puts his foot out, and, and it's a goal. I mean, t- together as a partnership, they, 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 they went straight away. They did. And it's very interesting. And I was sort of analysing the goal and how we scored that goal. Cathcart was under no pressure when he, he got the ball at his feet. And Wait, Cathcart? It. I thought it was Glenn Hoddle. <laughs> well, or was it Etienne Capoue? But he wasn't on the pitch, so it couldn't have been him. A beautiful right-footed cross-ball, diagonal ball. They talked about this a lot in commentary, about the importance of diagonal balls in the Championship. Not sure why that's necessarily become a thing. But when you play three at the back, as Bournemouth did, and as we do, what tends to happen is that the two wing-backs stand in a position, once they're in their shape, they tend to stand in a position three or four yards ahead of the three centre-backs who are in a line, as they should be. And this happened. Enrico was standing about three yards ahead, out there on the left, but, you know, three yards ahead of his centre-backs. And Saar very cleverly allowed himself just to sort of drift past Rico and get into that little space behind him, but still onside, because... Rico was three yards ahead of his own centre-backs. So when Cathcart put the ball in, it did seem like a kind of wonder ball, but there was a lot of space for him to aim at. Nevertheless, great ball, great first touch. Rico completely out of the game and backtracking because he's taken up a position where he should really be level with Saar, but he's allowed Saar to get in behind him. Great first touch, great ball across the box, and Parisa literally had to sprint every... And he got there with about a millimetre to spare to get his toe on it, and it's just a fantastic goal, and it really came completely against the run of play a bit like the game in the week you know they were they came out hard Bournemouth the first 10-15 minutes they really were trying to just batter us back into our own penalty area which they did really effectively but just one little moment one tiny lapse of concentration on the part of Rico to not notice that Saar had gone behind him and boom you know Watford can get a goal we can score those those goals with that kind of quality and after that that did slightly bring Bournemouth up a bit and they started to like take a bit more care what was going on behind them and it slowed the game down I thought. You mentioned Rico a lot there Colin I think as from a Watford supporters point of view I think a lot of the credit needs to go yes Cathcart picked, picked the ball he still had to find Saar incredible first touch reminiscent really of the of the second on on Wednesday where he, he did well it was to, to, to bring it under control and then the ball in was if you if you grab a football dictionary and look up perfect, um, I think they've they've just torn out the page that was in there and put in a, a gif of that of that ball in because it was absolutely sublime. And I think as as, as we we talked last week about how uh, on Wednesday about how Jao Pedro is 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 growing into games, the reaction from Ismail Assad this afternoon to that 
um, awful challenge early on was it could have been to sort of get sulky, head down and, and complain to the ref. What he actually did was rolled his sleeves up and thought, right, I'm going to do my talking on the pitch. And, and I thought he really did. I thought this was, again, was a fantastic performance from Ismail Assar. And as, as Watford supporters, we've been through the, the mill over the transfer window. We've gone through the relegation. We've had to worry about keeping our best players. We've kept Saar and we're starting to see just how good he can be. That goal was, was such a joy to behold. It really was. It was, it was simple in many respects but the execution was fabulous absolutely glorious but it is also a testament to the canniness of Saar that he can see where the fullback is and he can just edge his way forward so he can get into a position where if the ball comes the fullback's going to have to turn to chase him by which time he's he's long gone and and I think that's just that's about tactical awareness it's about positional awareness I mean this is a young boy but his maturity his kind of way he puts himself in the pitch and I mean he overall he did a lot of work today and he found himself on the left and at the back and he was putting in tackles but that little moment of thinking I can just edge myself into this position he hasn't noticed me he's a bit like grandmother's footsteps you know and and when the ball comes he's ready and he's gone and uh, yeah, fantastic goal. You're, you're right to mention he was all over the pitch because I think he put in defensive work as well, which we haven't he necessarily really seen. And, and I, just, I loved it today from Ismail Assar. I think that was a that was a real highlight as far as, as far as I'm concerned. Just to see him all popping up all over the place, wanting the ball, doing the work. And it was interesting. Vladimir Ivic, they they're very uh, they they know what they're supposed to do from restarts, from set plays. Um, and when, when the opposition is in uh, in possession in certain parts of the, the field, you can really see it here at Vicarage Road. And, and Ivic is, is gesturing, making sure that people are in the right position, depending on what the phase of play is or what the or what is about to happen. And he be, he talks to Ismail Asar a lot uh, when Bournemouth are encroaching forward, moving forward the ball. And when if they pass, he's like, go, 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 go. Very sort of direct instructions, and I just thought the way he, he he stuck to his task today was was admirable, especially considering the the treatment that was dished out. He did his talking on the pitch, and I absolutely I'm full of uh, admiration, but also even more excited that we're just starting to see Ismail Assar really really flourish. I thought he was brilliant today, brilliant. I think Mike he had. What to, to coin your phrase, he had his season in a microcosm um, <laughs> because it was what he's going to get in terms of doing and scoring some goals and being exciting and being our outlet. But also, he's going to get kicked a few times. He's uh, going to get some treatment. He yeah, certainly absolutely. Is. Um, Colin, defensively, though, you, you know, yes, I know we let uh, goal in at the end, but for as Mike, you know, as you said, we, you know, Bournemouth up their game when they went behind, but we coped with them. We absolutely coped with them. How? It's a question of uh, philosophy, partly, in the week prior to a game. I mean, he's getting them so well drilled. Again, something that was said on the commentary quite regularly throughout the whole game was, my word, Watford are well organised, it's impossible to get through them. But what I really noticed today, and I think I noticed it really properly for the first time, because I know in the Blackburn game we were a little bit, I think, taken by surprise by their kind of offensive energy against us. And there were times where we were being pulled left, right and centre and managed to managed to stand up and win that game. But in this game, I have to say, I thought that back line and, and, the, and the three in front and the two wing backs and the forwards as well, it looks like we really enjoy defending. And I think that's something that Ivic has really brought to the club. Normally, defending is seen, you know, it's left mostly to the specialist defenders and it's something that, you know, you're kind of supposed to do, come on, track back, give tackles in, da-da-da. And, and some players are not that keen or not that bothered. They go, well, it's not really my job. I'm up here. I'm here to score goals. But this team really does defend from the front all the way to the back and there was times when when it just looked like 
that's what they wanted. <laughs> it was like, we want this. Come on then. Come on. Keep having a go at us. Keep putting the ball over the top. And there were times where we pushed them back in midfield. They had to play long balls in, which I thought we dealt with pretty well. But then the times where they did get into our third, our, you know, into their final third, there was always an extra man coming in from the side, coming in from behind, covering his mate, working hard for each other, making sure that when opportunities arose, you know, they would have to be perfect in order to score. And most teams never achieve that kind of perfection. So, you know, Solanke had a couple of headers, which he didn't manage to pull off. King had a couple as well. But mostly it just looked like we were up for it. And when you look back, uh, and and this is the last time I'm ever going to mention last season, John, I promise you. But (laughs) when you look back to last season, if we'd had that kind of attitude amongst the side, we wouldn't have conceded first in all nine games after we came back after lockdown. If we'd had an attitude where we defend as a team, we go into the trenches against far better opposition, of course, we didn't really show that attitude. And in this game, we really looked like they were not, not just rolled up sleeves, but smiles on their faces. Come on, you think you can get through us we've only conceded two goals in six games you're not going to score against us we're going to fight you tooth and nail every single time and it did in the end it led to a lot of frustration in that Bournemouth team which I think in the second half led to quite a few of the nasty little tackles and challenges and elbows and whatever because they were getting really frustrated that they couldn't get any traction against our defence and yes massively unfortunate that we conceded right at the end but both teams were tiring we were kind of hanging on and, and going further and further back and eventually, you know, it was slightly lucky, I think, if Foster had managed to punch it a bit further or whatever. But anyway, they scored. But nevertheless, I think when you look at this side, what you see is a side that wants to defend, not just has to or thinks they should or, oh, well, I suppose we're under a bit of pressure. I better come back and help out from the whistle they all want to do that work and they all want to get up the other pitch and support players so they can score goals and I think that is something that is uh, very exciting. I agree with that and I think what I think there was two performances for me that personified that this, this afternoon and I think Jeremy Ngakia for me struggled a little bit in the first half he looked like he got the wrong side a couple of times and positionally was, was a bit out of shape a couple of, of times. Yeah. He got visibly frustrated once or twice when, when Ben Foster wasn't able to do the short goal kick routine. He wanted the ball which is a great sign uh, but he looked like he was struggling and I think True Stekong made a couple of bad decisions a couple of times he could have just got, got got rid of the ball a couple of times and found himself dispossessed on the edge of the box so he made so those two I think had vaguely shaky first quarters maybe but grew into the game fabulously and really in the, in the second half William True Stekong was incredibly vocal it's certain that we don't have a lot of that in, in this side at the moment he was marshalling his troops very very well um, screaming at A to B, get, get over there, move there. So he was very much the sort of centre-back that you want, commanding centre-back presence. And I thought Ngakia, after a shaky start, really grew into the game uh, and was a, was a really solid performer for, for the most part. Again, showing himself to be an absolutely extraordinary signing from Watford, by the way. So the, I think that, that those two individuals really stunned for me because of they had a slightly shaky start. But I think it feeds into exactly what Colin was saying there which is these guys know what their job is and they're relishing it because they know what the end game is. Stick to our guns, stick to the game plan, stick to the shape and more often than not, people aren't going to score against us and they relish it and, and I think we should relish it as well. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Midfield-wise, I, I, in my head, I'm sort of... I know we've got several players still to come back, uh, particularly Will Hughes, and Capu's only just come back into the into the match day squad. I'm thinking, I wonder... You know, I know we're not going to get to do this because we're going to play so many games, there's going to be rotation of players. Who is the... Who would be the first pick midfield if we had just one game a week? And I suppose... No one's particularly doing that or has done that over every single game. Nathaniel Chalabar got his man of the match uh, from Don Goodman on the, on the telly. What was it about him today, Colin? I mean, it was a good day for him. Was it the fact that he sat back a little bit more? He was more, he was deeper? Well, I think Ivic has put him in that position. I think he wants him to play in front of the back three. He sees that as his role. He's obviously very interested in how a team defends their goal, Ivic, that is, as a coach. That's something that uh, they were, again, they were saying uh, in commentary about how he'd won the two titles in Israel and they conceded like 10 goals in 30-odd games or whatever it was. It's incredible stats. And so it's obviously part of his football DNA that this is how he likes to set his teams up. And in order to be that good at that, you have to have players that are willing in midfield to sit and do a lot of dirty work. And there was one moment, I think, in the first half where where the ball came into the box and I think it was to Josh King with his um, with his new Buffon hairdo, <laughs> which I quite enjoyed. And uh, it looks like he can turn and shoot and he's going to get a shot off and he's about eight or nine yards out from goal. And out of nowhere, really, from midfield, Chalabar comes in, nips the ball off him and, and, and recycles it. That was something that Chalabar did a lot today and he's protecting the back three, but again, he seems to be relishing the role. And it may be something simple, like Ivic says, this is your job. Don't worry about anything else. A bit like we said when Grazia came in and, and sorted us out after that terrible start or that terrible middle part of the season under Silva. Says to Chanabar, this is your job. This is where I want you to work. I want you to keep an eye on Garner, who's a young, inexperienced player. I want you to be the man in front of the back three that is going to break things up. If you're able to do that, if you can sniff out danger, if you can spot where the ball's going to go, that allows Tom Cleverley, uh, if he's playing Garner or Kapu or whoever comes in Hughes, to go into the, into the spaces further forward. That is your job. Do it. And I think when you have a really clear instruction like that, and I'm assuming that's what's happened, every day in training, he's only got one thing to think about. Right, how am I going to read this training session? Where's that ball going? I know, obviously, they know each other, so they know how each other plays. It's different when you play against genuine opposition. But if you have that attitude, I know where the space is. I know where they're trying to do. I've looked at the videos. I know how they like to get into the final third. I'm going to be there to stop it. I'm going to cut off the supply. I'm going to nick the ball. I'm going to put that tackle in. I'm going to recycle the ball. I know Jeremy Ngaki is going to be in space to my right. I know that Ken Semmer or Kiko will be on the left in space. Or I've got my mate, Trooster Kong or Wilmot, next to me. I know what I can do. I can knock it forward, a short pass into Cleverly and get it back and then recycle it again. Once you start thinking about basically a 10-metre square in front of your own box and that that is your land, that's your house, then I think you have a lot of freedom and it can give you a lot of confidence. And I thought today he took a yet another step forward. I know I mentioned him in the pod after the Blackburn game saying that I thought we were beginning to see something and I thought he took a, a big step forward today against, frankly 
better opposition. I mean, Blackburn had all the energy and attacking will, but Bournemouth matched them for that. But Bournemouth had, I thought, a little bit more quality in, in certain areas that made it more difficult for us to, to play that kind of defence, have that kind of defensive solidity. But I thought he was excellent today. I think he, he really deserved man of the match. I'm really delighted to see him playing well. I know that we sort of always thought of him as a slightly more attacking player, but I think that Ivic, like coaches do, they spot a player, they see some quality, they see a certain type of quality in a player and they say, right, this is what I want you to do. This is your job. Uh, in the way that Pearson took Decore out of a defensive position alongside Capu and pushed him further up the pitch and that worked for Decore. With Chalabar, what Ivic has said is, no, this is your 10-metre square in front of the back three and I want you to master it, like, you know, uh, to make sure that you cut supply, you don't let them get easy ball, easy space, easy passes. That is your job. And I thought he did it really, really well today. He had more of a, a job to do today uh, as well, I think, because I think Garner got a little bit overexcited at times. He sort of was here, there and everywhere. And I, I love his energy, but he wasn't quite as, you know, you've just, you've just uh, described a very disciplined player and a disciplined performance there, Colin. And I think James Garner perhaps showed a little bit of his inexperience today and, and ended up being substituted at, at half-time. But that, when, when players, do, you know, it wasn't a, a bad performance by any, any stretch of the imagination from Ghana, but it did mean that Chalabar had to step up that little bit more because there was no, no more room for error. And the other thing, just to, just to close off on, on Chalabar, is that he knows that Kampu and Hughes are breathing down his neck and it's now or never. He, he's the man in possession of the shirt at the moment and he needs to perform you know, on a mental level, he will know that and he will know that he needs to perform. If he gets ousted by Kapoor and Hughes, it's, it's, it's difficult to get back in, isn't it? So fair play to him. I thought that was terrific today, um, both from that point of view and in, in managing the game because, um, yeah, I thought James Garner was a little bit off it and was, was, was replaced by Kapoor at half-time. I think one of the interesting things about today's performance was the, was the bench and how he used the bench. Um, as Mike's just pointed out, uh, Garner was on a yellow card and he'd also just put in another tackle and the referee was kind of raising an eyebrow thinking, mm, that's a bit borderline. So I think Ivic thought, mm, I don't want to get a player sent off. So off he came, Kapu came on. I mean, what an incredible player to have on the bench. I don't think he can play 30, 46 games in a season, so he'd have to use him wisely. But he came on, he brought a certain amount of calmness, a bit of quality, but, you know, he's got, he's got that nasty side to him as well. He's up for the fight, Etienne. He's not going to take anything off anybody. So he's got... A lot to his game and I thought he improved us and then later on in the game uh, when Cleverly started to tire he brought on Queener and Queener actually came on and I know that we're a bit we're not sure about uh, Domingos Queener no, is it Queener we're not quite sure whether whether he's going to be a great player for us in this in this league or whether you know there's a lot of kind of you know there's quite a bit of star star uh, quality about him at times but is he really going to be disciplined and a good enough player to, to but today he came on and again I was a bit concerned cleverly is our captain he's he'd had a good another good 65 minutes or 70 minutes and, and Keener came on and I thought he was really lively he got hold of the ball well he took the ball forward he likes to shoot quite a bit of on a couple of occasions forced him into good saves and that scared Bournemouth a little bit it's like oh there's a player on the pitch and he's actually going to shoot the ball at our goal and we're not sure and we don't even know who he is and where is he he's got the ball and he's, he's passed it and he's got it back and they were kind of running around Keener trying to figure out how to deal with him and then at the end when Parisa very sadly um, fell it was no fault of the defender to be fair I don't think he was chasing after him he sort of fell and they, he just fell really badly on his arm and shoulder with it outstretched to bring on a player like Pedro who Played only three days ago, we know what he can do. And again, when he came on, I thought he was lively, but he was, you know, he was clever. So 
when we've got a bench that's got that kind of quality on it and when Ivic is willing to use it, you know, and it, in certain moments and trust that you can bring on Domingos Quina for Tom Cleverley, who must be a player that Ivic must look at as a, as a central pillar in this side, Tom Cleverley that is, but to trust his substitute and go, on you go, do this, do that, you know, help us out in this situation. I think that, that again, just speaks very well for our squad, for Ivic, for the club generally and for, and for our excitement at watching this team going forward. I think I think Queen is another one who who grafts the metal pretty uh, admirably today. I thought he buzzed around with a with real energy today. And what and it was quite telling. I thought he got two two good shots off, forced Begovic into two quite awkward saves, didn't he? But it was quite jarring to see him have to make the saves because. And this isn't a criticism, but Watford do not ask many questions. Do well, they didn't today of, of Begovic, did they? Um, and I think that's how. It's going to be this season, which is absolutely fine. You can, you can be in control of a game at nil-nil. You can be in control of a game at one-nil as well. Unfortunately, we weren't able to see it out today. And we are going to have to cut out those mistakes, he says, stating the, stating the obvious. But I thought he was another player who, who has perhaps been a little bit on the periphery so far in this, in this campaign, but really came on and, and felt like he was following instructions that were, were tailored for this game. Get there, buzz around, make a nuisance of yourself and get your shots off when you can. Uh, and he did, but and it, but it just did feel to me, does this Watford side need to, to create more? And I, th- I think the answer is yes, if we're going to w- win more games. Also, rationalising that with, with the way that we play, and it's, it is a trade-off, and I think we will get, we will get better at it as the, as the season goes on. And, and I hate to keep going on about players to come back, but you do think about someone like perhaps Andre Gray coming on when Parizza went off. I actually thought he had a, a, a vaguely disappointing afternoon, Parizza, apart from his, his, his goal. I think he went down a little bit easily on occasion and uh, I, I think he'll be, be slightly frustrated. But perhaps if, if Andre Gray comes on in, instead of Joe Padre, who did, you know, who did admirably. There was, one, there was one minute, though, at one stage where they were retreating. I think it was a goal kick and sort of Pedro was, was ambling back. And virtually the entire Watford team was going, Sal! 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 And that just goes back because he, he hadn't dropped back into that position that they all know where they're supposed to be from, from every sort of restart. They know where, and he, he'd switched off momentarily. I thought it was, it was quite amusing, but also very, very telling as to just how drilled they were. Sal! Sal! I think I almost started joining in. I didn't know where he was supposed to be, but I just wanted to tell him something. The depth of this squad is great. There's different options, offering different things, and I'm and I'm really pleased that we saw that good the good performance from from Queen. I thought he was one who who did his future sort of hopes of of, of staying in the squad no harm at all. I thought I thought he was good. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Remember, if you haven't yet subscribed to The uh, Athletic, you can get a remarkably good deal at the moment for just one pound a month uh, if you go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. Uh, and as part of that, you get to see the readings uh, of Mr. One, Adam Leventhal, uh, who joins us now. Good afternoon, Adam. 
Good afternoon. Was that Juan Adam Leventhal? Am I Juan? Yes. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm all good. How, how are you doing, gents? Very good. Where are you still at? You still at Vicarage Road, or you, have you left yet? <laughs> I've been writing in the uh, in the car park of Vicarage Road. It's now teeming down with rain, and it's what quite a few hours after the the game has finished. But I've just been sort of going through uh, some of the interesting incidents from the game. Um, and sort of stepping into a world where if we had VAR, things might have been a little bit different. Well, let's see what Vlad had to say after the game, which, as we've already discussed with Colin, uh, had some incidents. We, we can be disappointed with the result because we could see the goal in the extra time. <laughs> believe that we, we work hard during the 95, 96 minutes. We were very good in our defensive movement. We tried to attack the space, uh, what we create for our players in front. I believe that we had a two good, very good chance. The best chance it was with Sar when he has tete a tete with the keeper. Uh, when you missed after 1-0, two chance. Uh, normally, that's what you want to keep this result. You know, in the last minutes, uh, we go back, we go to protect the 1-0. Again, I'm pleased with the, with the, with the behavior, behavior of my player because their work, they give their maximum. And, you know, it was uh, one moment in the second pieces where we lose the players. And I don't know now what's happened there with the, with, with the Ben Foster when he kicked the ball. You've seen this situation, maybe... <laughs> It could be then the foul after the, the touching with the ball when he put the ball out, three players go to him. But OK, it's, it's, it's the game. We need to be realistic. We need to know that we play against one very good uh, good team who played together three, four years. Uh, we know that they have a quality player, especially in front, a uh, powerful player who, who can score uh, the goal from every position. And I believe that we uh, they didn't create something against us. I don't remember some chance that they are create. Uh, he had uh, two or three chances uh, in the second half. And uh, we know that set pieces in the part of the game where we need to be ready. Previous game uh, against Blackboard, they had two, three good chances. Today, we didn't pay our confusion previous game, but we paid today and we need to learn from this. How, how was he, though? In, in himself, Adam, was he overly worried and upset? No, I think he was quite, he was quite calm. He always is quite calm and measured, um, you know, and as you heard there, I think he was right to highlight the fact that overall, you know, for 96 of the 97 minutes that were played, you know, Watford defensively were, were pretty solid. And, you know, that was with Bournemouth having a lot of the ball and sort of threatening from the edge of the, the penalty box. They didn't really create that many opportunities, did they? So I think he's he was quite happy. Um, but then towards the end of the news conference, he did get a little bit um, heated. And it was quite interesting because, you know, he, at the end of the game, actually went over to the referee and everyone's naturally thought, oh, well, that is because he was angry about you know, something that happened around the goal. You know, he, he did actually say that he thought maybe Ben Foster might have been fouled and, and things like that. But what he'd actually been speaking to the referee about was that he felt that the whistle might have been blown a little bit too soon at the end of the game and Watford had the chance for a, a two-on-two counter-attack. I mean, my own personal opinion is that I was quite grateful for the, the whistle <laughs> to blow because I thought that Bournemouth looked more likely to score. Um, but he, he said, look, you know, I thought that maybe we might have been allowed to have that counter-attack. So I've I've gone through that. I've gone through the VAR incidents as well for, for the latest piece for The Athletic. And it's been, it's a very difficult one, actually. And I, I talk about it in the piece that basically you go, yeah, VAR could have completely changed the game. Lloyd Kelly wouldn't have been on the pitch. Philip Billing potentially might not have been on the pitch as well. There's a couple of challenges and stills that I've looked at. And I know that, you know, stills aren't the reality, but just looking at it, and that's what VAR would have looked at. 
you know, he might have struggled to also be on the pitch as well. But you also think, God, when we did have VAR, it was painful at times. You had the dithering, you had the delays, you had the drawing of lines and everything. And although it's a little bit difficult to take, and Watford probably would have won this game if things had been different and there had been VAR, it's actually quite nice not to have it for a season. And that's basically the sort of the conclusion of my piece that, yeah, things could have been different, but I quite like it without it. I definitely like it without it. I mean, you could argue that VAR actually played a huge part in Watford getting relegated as well. Even in games games that Watford weren't involved in, you know, uh, Aston Villa got a draw against Sheffield United when Sheffield United demonstrably scored. You know, there's a sliding scale of, of the impact of, that, that VAR had on, on Watford throughout the uh, throughout the season, isn't it? But I, I, I totally agree. I think they're watching them back, absolutely dreadful. But VAR wouldn't necessarily, for example, the one um, where the, the tug back on, on on Ismail Assar, from one side, from the uh, Elton John stand side, it wasn't necessarily that obvious. It looked like Sars just gone down. From the Sir Elton John side, where, where, where I was sat and you were sat, Adam, you could see the guy had a fistful of his shirt and pulled him back. And that would have been evident very, very quickly on a second camera angle. But if you're Forest Green Rovers or Cheltenham or someone like that, there's not going to be multi, multi-camera. So you would see that one, perhaps, angle and, and still get the wrong decision. So for me, I think it's still the right the right thing not to have it at the moment it's it, it doesn't work it's ruining the game as a spectacle for for supporters leading to more um scratching of heads and gnashing of teeth than than whatever the opposite of that is so i'm glad we haven't got it and and as for punishments john i think there is one punishment that the the ref will have meted out and that's that he will have to watch that again uh, and he will realize very very quickly he's made an enormous mistake after after 90 seconds and there's no you mentioned Philip Billing Adam but I've had a chance to to watch the two instances he elbows um Parica. you could argue how how much contact there was but there is a movement he makes a definitive move with his elbow towards his face and the one on Cleverly um was was appalling as well so it's either two reds or at the very least two yellows um and the refs got got completely lost lost control of it made four very very bad decisions but i'd still despite that glad we don't have var because it doesn't solve it we know that further down the line we might have got justice today but on tuesday at wickham or the week after that or the week after that one would have gone against us um that that, that shouldn't have done and it's just the way it is everyone is being wronged by var and that shouldn't it's the, the reason it was brought in is that no one should be wronged and, and it just that's just not the case at all so I'd, I'd rather have the the nonsense that we saw today than the the even graver nonsense of, uh, of var quite frankly so adam uh, you get to watch these games firsthand because of course you are part of the media watford's uh, correspondent for the athletic and a watford player has taken his first sort of concrete steps shall we say he's been tentatively skirting around the media for a little while but but now he's signed a deal uh, we know he's staying at Watford he's now signed a deal for Talksport and the Sun so our captain Troy Deeney um, is firmly entrenched in that media camp now how do you rate his first week in that world and, and what does he need to look at you're a man who understands that world you've covered a lot of sports for a different lot of different outlets uh, radio stations tv stations and now the written form what advice have you got for Troy as well? Oh, that's a tough one. That is a tough one. I think first and foremost, you know, you, you analyse the reason why he's in this position now. You know, you look back and he's always been outspoken, but it was the, the moment when he was in the TV studio, I think, that really sort of lifted his profile um, when he mentioned about Arsenal's cojones and, and things like that. And I think that's where the sort of the wider public 
started to think, oh, hang on a minute, I want to hear what Troy Deeney has to say. And then at all his post-match interviews, he is very honest, he's very open, sometimes a little bit too open. Um, and I think he even mentioned that on, on uh, Hive Live when he was in the studio with, with Emma Saunders, um, you know, that sometimes he can be a little bit too honest. But that really appeals to um, both newspaper editors and also radio producers. You know, they want someone that's going to come on and is going to create... Um, a debate, really. Mm. The thing with it is that it's very difficult if you are still within the game. And we've seen it already with Troy. I think he's spoken a little bit out of turn about some of his fellow professionals before. I mean, some people will say, yes, a lot of people might have agreed about the Cajones um, comment, but is it his place to talk about Arsenal in that way? More recently, over this summer, talking about Sebastian Haller and talking about Joel Linton and the, their value and how many goals they've scored and sort of ranking himself alongside them when he was injured and he effectively scored, you know, as many goals or, or, or maybe more. I don't necessarily know if that's the wisest thing to do. And you can sometimes get a little bit too carried away with the fact that, yes, you're honest and you're brutal and, you know, I, I don't have to hide away from anything that I say because I can back it up and all that sort of stuff. But I think it's just a little bit, sometimes it's a little bit too close to the bone. And I, I, I'm, I'm very intrigued to, to see how he's going to manage that because talk sport, and I've, you know, I've worked for talk sport myself, more sort of just doing straight football reporting, not causing controversy or anything like that. <laughs> but, you know, they, they like red line debates. They want one side and they want the other. And, and, you know, him speaking about, you know, when it was introduced, when he was alongside Laura Woods, there was, there was a couple of moments where, yes, he's talking about Fred and he's basically sort of hanging him out to dry a little bit. But then he's very honest about Paul Pogba and saying, you know, I like him and I think he's their best player. And then when he was asked about Cher, um, and he was talking about, you know, had had there been talks with Tottenham and things like that. He got a little bit tied up because he thought, hang on a minute, I could probably tell you more than I <laughs> I um, am now, but I shouldn't really. So it's going to be very interesting to see how he handles awkward situations, because the last thing that, that he will want, I think, deep down, and um, obviously the club will want is for him to cause issues simply by talking um, and people putting demands on him to be controversial. And, you know, that comes into what he's going to write in the in the newspaper as well. You know, it's not a lot of people's cup of tea that he's going to be writing for The Sun. You know, I, I'm not in a position to, to throw stones because I work for, you know, a Rupert Murdoch-owned um, organisation for, for 16, 17 years at, at Sky Sports. So I walked into a building day in, day out that had Rupert Murdoch's name above the uh, above the door. So, you know, I'm not going to criticise someone for taking a, a, a paycheck from, from News International, even though I probably wouldn't work for The Sun. I, I'm, I, they're, not my, they're not my cup of tea, to be honest. Look, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all pans out. But I just hope that, you know, as he does it, he concentrates on his honest opinions about the game. Mm. He'll be able to give great insight, but I just hope he doesn't compromise anything that's going on in terms of, of Watford's progress, because I, I don't think he will want that and, and, and the club won't want it. The fans certainly won't want it as well, because a lot of fans have highlighted the fact that it doesn't quite, doesn't quite marry up with, with their hopes and expectations of this season to see their captain that hasn't yet really played, you know, signing up for big contracts like that. So the, the, the jury's still out, I think. As a supporter, I think it's, uh, it's interesting because I think we need to be careful what we wish for from our, 
as sports stars, if you like, because sometimes we're guilty of saying, oh, we don't get enough honesty. We don't get enough non-media trained sort of standard club lines from from people. And and, and you mentioned the Cajones comment with against Arsenal, and I, I made him absolutely right. And I think he was backed up by a lot of Arsenal fans after that. He, he was just saying it as it was. And that was, I found it refreshing. I think a lot of people didn't. All too often you get the same, look, we're focusing on the next game. Uh, I don't talk about players who aren't contracted to my club. Uh, we'll find out what the injury is like after a scan tomorrow. You get the same lines from from absolutely everyone. So for me, I think, you know, it's 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 interesting. And I think it feeds into a wider situation at the moment with, with Watford and all other football clubs, really, that we're so distanced from the football club. Adam, you and I are lucky enough to get to the to the home games. You get to the away games as well. But as supporters, we are we, we we're craving that that contact that that we just don't have. And with with Troy perhaps doing that, that that's another opportunity for for Watford supporters and football supporters to hear from their captain. There is of course Ben Foster doing his amazing uh, goalkeeper G uh, the cycling GK. Uh, YouTube channel, which must have obviously been done with the blessing of the club, with the with the um, GoPro in the in the goal, which I know you mentioned in your in your most recent piece. I think that's absolutely fabulous, and I've mentioned it before. But Hornet Hive, Hive Live, what the club are doing before and after matches, the wrapping around uh, with the sort of magazine show of of the live action, and it, we, I think we're just seeing a change in in how football supporters get their their fix, if you like. And 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 what I do think is. Regardless of the rights and wrongs of, of Troy signing up with, with Talksport and the Sun, if you combine it all together, Watford fans have actually got it pretty good at the moment. All, all you know, if you, and relatively speaking, they can get content from lots of different sources. It, Troy a bit more uncut. Uh, ben Foster taking you behind the scenes, and then um, the, uh, the Hive Live doing the the pre and post match uh, a bit more club centric, if you like. So I, I think it's worth saying that. It's, we don't we be careful what we wish for with with Troy sometimes because the, the game doesn't need characters. How often do you do? You, it's a tired old cliche. People say, "Oh, well, you know, there's no characters in the game." Troy is definitely one of those, and he's willing to put himself out there. Uh, and I'm looking forward to to hearing what 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 he says. And I think it just feeds into that wider content that the club uh, club are putting out at the moment. So interesting times, nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, like, personally, I mean, Troy, he's got to brighten up his little voice a little bit, just because he always sounds a bit, he's, he's a bit too laid back for my liking. <laughs> uh, and also, he's got, I think he's got to be careful, really, because y- you can quite easily fall into being the character that people mm. expect you to be when you start working on the radio, where it isn't, you know, it isn't, you don't want him just to be, hey, Troy's on a Monday, let's see what his opinion is and ask him questions. He sort of needs to develop his own voice, uh, and that takes quite a while. So it's interesting to see how he develops uh, as an on-air and, and in-print uh, personality in the next couple of months. Uh, will we see him, Adam, on Tuesday? As I understand it, I don't think he is going to be playing and ready for Tuesday. Um, I think he's probably still at least a week away from getting back with the group. And I think we've seen with Vlad- Vladimir Ivic that he's very keen to sort of integrate players back Slowly, I know we got that snapshot of Troy against Luton where he just came on and <laughs> barrel chested one of their defenders out of the way, and that that was quite fun. But I think um, you know he'll he'll want to be looking at the long term now. Now he knows that he's got this squad for however many weeks until the transfer window opens, but hopefully for the rest of the season he'll want to be sure that when you when you get back you're able to stay back. So I don't think he will be rushing him back. I suppose that the Peritza potential injury. I don't know how long that's going to be might just sort of change the narrative a little bit 
But then you've got Andre Gray coming back in. So he might sort of be the next cab on the rank. And obviously, João Pedro got rotated and, and he'll be back and available for 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 Wickham and, you know, will probably start rather than coming on as a sub. So I don't think there's a massive rush with with Troy. Um, so he'll have a he'll have a bit more time to, to work on his his voice. It's one of those games, Mike, expected to win away at Wickham. Um, I don't think it's quite a, uh, a, a cold Tuesday night in uh, Wickham or Stoke, uh, whatever it is, type game. Uh, but it, it's one that we can't... Do you think we have to win it? Yes, we have to win every game from now on in after dropping <laughs> points this afternoon. I think it's, as a supporter, it's, the, it's a game that fills you with stone-cold dread. A team that hasn't just not won this season, they've never won a single game in the Championship. <laughs> As a Watford supporter, my, my first reaction is, well, we know who their first team they're going to beat is. It's us, of course, isn't it? But under Vladimir Ivic, I don't think we are that side anymore. I don't think that enters the side. I don't think it ever enters the psyche of the team anyway. And it's interesting, post-match, we've had a few sort of to-and-fros with, with fellow supporters on Twitter, some saying they're struggling to struggling to join the football. And, and I'm on the, on the opposite side of that because I just I can see what's happening. And I love the fact that we're grinding out these sort of pragmatic results that didn't quite, didn't quite come to fruition today. But I really like the fact that, first and foremost, we're really hard to beat. And defensively, we are really, really strong. And ordinarily, you know, going to a team like Wickham, they should find it very, very difficult to break us down because every team in this division should make, find it difficult to break us down. So them, bottom of the league, not cut adrift yet, but, the, but obviously struggling, low on confidence. But for them, this is a, we, we've said it a lot like in, the, in our seasons in the Premier League, about, talked about free hits. This is a free hit for them. They won't be expecting, uh, well, certainly their supporters won't be expecting to win. The watching sort of neutrals won't be expecting them to get anything, but they will fancy their chances of, of causing us some problems. So it's, a, it's another big game. Every, every game is massive, I think, for this Watford team because what they do need to do is build that head of steam you want to see incremental improvement incremental confidence I think is is the biggest thing I think we missed a couple of chances up top today with with Saar missing a chance that that could have won us the game and uh, we just need to get better with each passing game we need to take something from every game um, and that's that's important. So we we cannot afford to slip up against Wickham because then on the heels of that, there's another game a few days later. So there can't be any excuses. If if this Watford team are going to challenge at the, at the right end, there simply cannot be any excuses. And there's no reason that this team, this squad, in this form, because I think they are in decent form, shouldn't go to Wickham and win as the form book suggests. We know it's not going to be that easy, but no game is. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. And I am look, I'm looking forward to every game at the moment just because I buy into what they're trying to do, what Vladimirovich is trying to do with this squad. It's evolving, it's improving, it's revolving because it needs to. Um, and I, I just find it so intriguing. Exciting is probably the wrong word, but intriguing, fascinating, uh, and I'm there for it. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. But yeah, they'll be up for it, and, 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 and I think we need to be careful, but that's the same every week, isn't it? Thank you very much uh, to Colin for being on part one. Thank you very much, Adam. No problem. And thank you, Michael. Yeah, so it's always that clever. And we'll be back after the Wickham away game for yet another podcast. We'll be here uh, with a podcast after every Watford match this season. Thank you very much for listening. And do make sure you subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't already. Uh, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Wickham uh, And, uh, well, you'll see what Adam has to say in the next few days. We'll be back very soon. Come on, you all!
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.